And so we're going to talk about how do we keep going? Where is God leading us? And in this series over these next four weeks, we're going to use that in the theme of what is the church? How do we understand the church? What does it mean to be the church that God has called us to be? Where is God leading his church? And how do we go where God is calling us to go? As I was thinking about the church, in my office, I have a book. It sits on top of my bookshelf. It's too big to go on the bookshelf itself. It just sits on the very top, and every once in a while I'll see it and, and I'll bring it down. And the name of the book is actually called Churches. And inside of this book is just a ton of different pictures of churches from all around the world. Different types of architecture, different ways of uh, ways that churches put their building together. And I know this is a little bit small for you to see, so I, I just took a picture of a couple of them and put them up on the screen for you this morning. This first one, I don't know how many of you know what that is. That's the Crystal Cathedral. It's a beautiful church, isn't it? And in fact, you could actually see the sun shining into that church and the uh, organ, the huge organ in the background and the front of the church. And you see the, the stream that's going right down the middle of it, the screen that's on one side, the balcony that's on the other side. It's a beautiful church. This is the church St. Clair in Stockholm, Sweden. You see the angel statues up front to the left, a little bit raised, you can see what might have been used as a pulpit to preach out of. The balcony, and you, you see that peaked ceiling and all of the artwork and everything they did to make that church beautiful. This church is St. John in Chicago. You can see the chandeliers, the artwork again, all of that that they did to make this church a beautiful church. Imagine how much that would have cost to do all of that work to make it beautiful. And the last one, Trinity Church, not in the, the state of Georgia, but in the country Georgia. And so the beautiful church again, you see the floor, you see the cross that's in the front, you see the colors, beautiful churches. But do you notice what also is the same about all of these churches? What's missing in every one of these churches? People. People. To God, are these churches beautiful without people? Do you know there's a lot of churches in Europe who look just like this? Big, huge, beautiful buildings. And you go there on a Sunday morning and there's either 20 or 30 people worshiping in a church that large or they're empty. They're being sold to become restaurants, bars, refurbished as businesses. Churches that we would say, man, those are beautiful churches. But to God, is a church really beautiful without people? I'd love to turn your attention to the screen. We're just going to watch a short video as we get into our time of the message together. Please watch this with me. One morning I walked into a church, but it wasn't on a Sunday. I looked around and I saw the empty seats, the sun glistening through the dust in the air. 
At first, I was distraught at the sight of the empty chairs. But then, I was filled with joy. I realized that the people who were once in those chairs were now outside of the building, working at their jobs, serving in their communities, laughing with their co-workers and growing with their families. They had the opportunity to be the church, not just sit in it. When will we be like them? When will we see the opportunity given to us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, bringing hope into the world? Stained glass can't pray for the sick. These walls can't preach the gospel, but you can. The building you're sitting in is just a building. But if you trust in Jesus, then you are the church. I want to talk about that this morning. What makes a beautiful church? And what does it mean for us to be the church that God wants us to be? Both the church throughout the world and the church right here at Grace. You and me who sit in these pews and worship together as the family of God at Grace. What makes us a beautiful church? We're going to look at that as we hear the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you want to follow along, you can find that starting on page 1014, page 1014, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at some select verses there. Now, as you think about Peter, who's going to be speaking into a church, he's writing to a church. Understand the church that he's writing to is a church that is under great persecution. If you read through 1 Peter, you understand that they are facing persecution for worshiping Jesus. They are facing persecution because they gather together in his name. And the people around them are, are inclined against them. They are hostile to them. And in the midst of speaking to this persecuted Christian church, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he reminds them of what it means to actually be the church. In 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, it says this, So as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, so you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As you read that from Peter, what does he say the church building is? Did you get it? What is the church building? It's us, isn't it? He says, you yourselves are living stones who are being built into a spiritual house. He says, the church is not a building, but it's the people of God who are being built together as living stones on the living stone, on the cornerstone, on the cornerstone that was rejected by men, but was set up to be the foundation upon which all churches are built, and that is Jesus Christ. The church is the people of God who gather together, built on Jesus, his word and his gifts that are given to us so that we might be the people of God that he has called us to be acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and he says this, 
So, verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see the four phrases that Peter uses to describe the church? You see them right at the beginning of verse 9? He says, but you are a chosen race. You are chosen. God chose you. In the waters of baptism, God chose you to be his child. And I think we miss how significant that is sometimes because God has everything at his disposal. God created the entire universe, and if he wanted to, in an instant, he could destroy it and recreate it all again from scratch. And yet, God chose you. Knowing your faults, knowing your failures, knowing those times that you have hurt others in thought, word, and deed, knowing how you have not helped those that you were called to help, knowing those times when you wouldn't act like the church ought to look and act, and yet God chose you. Even when others might not choose you in this life, God did. You are his chosen people. You're a chosen race. The second one is you are a royal priesthood. I want you to think about the priesthood for a second and and what did the priesthood do in the Old Testament? Well, the priesthood really had two functions. The first function is they would take the sacrifices and offer the sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. And then they would come out and they would declare the word of God to the people. And so they would act on behalf of God to the people and then they would act on behalf of the people to God. And that was the job of the priesthood. And Peter says, now we have a royal priesthood, and that is all of us. We are all the priesthood of all believers. So we all have that opportunity with coworkers, with neighbors, with friends, with those parents who are on the, the, the teams of, that our children are on. We are able to be a priesthood to them, where on behalf of God, we are able to speak God's word into their life, to remind them of the hope that is found in Jesus Christ, to display the glories of God. And then on behalf of those who are around us, we are able to offer up prayers on behalf of those God has placed in our life. We, together, are a royal priesthood. The third one, you are a holy nation. You are holy. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, none of us would really be able to make that confession, would we? Me, holy? No, did you see what I said to my children on the way to church this morning when they weren't getting ready all along my timetable? Those were not holy words. Did you see what I said last night to my wife? That was not holy. God, you know the text message I sent to a coworker this week or, or how I spoke about my boss behind his back this week. God, you know I'm not holy. But you see, the Father sees you through Jesus. In fact, in Scripture, the way that we see the church is how Paul describes it. When Paul says the church is the bride of Christ, and think about that picture of a bride where the groom standing at the front sees the bride dressed in white in the back. And that groom knows that his bride is not perfect. 
Husband and wife know each other's faults pretty well, don't we? We know that that bride is not perfect, and yet on that day, on that wedding day, he sees her displayed in the beauty of that white, and he loves her in that purity. And God sees you washed in the blood of Jesus Christ through the waters of holy baptism in the forgiveness of sins as that bride dressed in white, that holy nation. And then finally he says, and you are a precious possession, a possession for myself. In fact, what he's saying is, is you are my treasured possession. God says you are a treasure, not loved because you are valuable, but you are valuable because you are loved. God loves you so much that he has created value in you and says that you may not be treasured by anybody else in this world. You might not be treasured and valued by the place that you work at, by your family, by your children, by your spouse. You may not feel very treasured, but God says you are because you are mine. You are a treasured possession. In the midst of describing the church, he goes on and then says, but this church that is holy, chosen, a priesthood, and a treasure, you have a purpose. Do you see what he says the purpose is there? He says the purpose is so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So so that you may publish or you may make public the excellencies, the glory of God. Another way you could say it is so that you could become a holy bragger. That's what we're supposed to be, holy braggers. This week, as I was watching some football game on Thursday, <laughs> we're not going to talk about that. I saw one of the Green Bay Packers being interviewed. I don't remember which one it was. It didn't really matter. And, uh, but he was one who was a part of one of their uh, championship teams, and he was wearing a ring, one of those championship rings. Uh, this is my Chicago Cubs ring. Do the Brewers have one? Oh, sorry. It, it hurts right now, okay? You guys beat us twice in a row and the Packers won, so just... And he was wearing this ring and I was thinking to myself, man, you, when you wear that ring, nobody misses it, right? Like this, this, okay, it's a replica. Don't think I have a real one, but, but nobody's missing this ring. This is a huge ring. And, and all of the diamonds and the rubies and everything in it and everything just glitters off it and glows and, and you wear this around it. And there is no doubting that you did something special if you wear a ring like this, right? We are to be holy braggers who display the excellency of God so that nobody would miss the fact that there is something special about what he has won for us. We are to wear this spiritually in our lives, the excellencies and the glory of God as holy braggers for Jesus. Every place that we go so that we might make known his excellencies. Because the truth is when you read this and you understand what we are called to do, the church, those who are called out, the church is not a location, it's a people. You know, oftentimes I'll drive through Starbucks on Sunday morning grabbing a coffee on my way in and, and I'll be dressed up and, and every once in a while one of them will say, where are you heading off to on a Sunday morning? And I used to say, I'm going to church, which is kind of correct, but usually when we say I'm going to church, we either think about I'm going to the building or I'm going to the worship. 
But when you say I'm going to church, the thought actually should be I'm not going to a building and I'm not going to an action. I'm going to a group of believers who gather together in the name of Jesus to offer him worship and praise. And so the truth is, is that when our children go to school at Grace, they go to church. Right now, your children who are up in Jam and Thrive, they went to church. On Sunday night, when your children show up for Ignite, they go to church. On Thursday nights, when we have people who gather together for Celebrate Recovery to talk about their struggles and their hurts and the hang-ups, and they hear the Word of God, they are going to church. Because church is not a location, but a church is the gathering of God's people who display His glory, who wear His excellencies, so that all people might know the name of Jesus Christ and that in doing those things that the church is called to do, they could not help but understand the glory of God. That is what the church is called to do. And I believe that there are three things we see, at least three things we see in scripture that talk about what this looks like. First of all, the church therefore is called to be a unified church, one church. Not a church that is siloed off, not a church that has its own desires and own passions and own things that we run after, but we are called to be one, unified. Paul describes it this way. He says, you are the body of Christ. Though there are many members, all members are a part of one body. And so we all are given different gifts. Some of you are great at at singing or playing music and others of you are great at serving and others at leading and others at spending time with children and some of you love spending time with youth and and some of you love organizing events for our adults and some of you like leading small groups or teaching Bible studies or or cleaning up but it takes a church to do ministry. All different gifts but all of them used for the body of Christ to the glory of God. The second one is we are called to be spirit-filled. And if we're spirit-filled, that means we have a purpose by which God leads us forward. And over the past year, through our upward-onward process, as we continue to go through, and we'll talk more about that if you come to our State of Grace of Voters Assembly. So we'd love for you to come and hear more about how God is leading us forward then. But, but we understand God leads us according to how God's people have been gathered together. And so in listening to everybody, to God's church together, uh, we created a mission statement for grace. And, and if you didn't notice this morning, there are some new banners that are up. The banners that were actually created by, as we talk about different people using different gifts to the glory of God, a member of our congregation here at Grace, reminding us that we are a family. And that family is very diverse. All of our families look different. Some of our families are single parents. Some are empty nesters. Some are two parents with two children or four children. Uh, Some are widows. Some are, it's just a variety of different families that we have, but we gather together as one family. And if you think about our community, have you noticed how many minivans drive through our communities? We are filled with families. We are one unified family. A family that is growing in Christ while we are reaching out in love, and we'll talk more about those over the coming weeks. But one of the things I love about this banner is, do you see the two images that flow throughout the banner? The first one's the cross, isn't it? Because it is the cross of Jesus Christ that holds it all together, and it's the focus of everything. It's what he has done first. And then that second image is the image of God's people doing what God's people are called to do, to be that family together that is growing in Christ through reading the word of God and prayer and that is reaching out to those who are hurting 
to lift them up onto the solid foundation that is that living stone of Jesus Christ. We are God's people who go forward as God leads us. And the third one is we are faithful. Faithful to display his glory in the midst of a culture that is becoming increasingly hostile to the message of Christianity. I was reading a couple different articles, and so depending upon uh, which research group you go to, they're saying in today's world, about 80 to 90% of all churches from last year to this year declined in worship attendance. 80 to 90%. And that our newest generation, Generation Z, is another generation that is increasingly more and more difficult to reach in the midst of the message that the culture is speaking into their lives today. So we as a church need to continue to ask the question, God, how are you leading us forward? What does that mean that needs to change? And what does that mean that doesn't need to change but needs to stay the same? And the truth is when it comes to what needs to change, it's often our methods that need to change. But what will never change is the message. Because the message of the word of God and the message of Jesus Christ crucified and risen again will never change. In fact, over this next year, our staff and some of our leadership are going to be reading a book called Who Broke My Church? As we talk about what are those things that are hurting the church, but that we need to look at and say, okay, how, God, can you revitalize us so we can be the church that you have called us to be? What are those things that we need to look at to understand what it means to be an effective and successful church? Because normally there are two things that we use to define a successful or an effective church, right? We open up our bulletins and we look for a red or a black number. And then we look around us and we try to guesstimate if there are more or less people. So it's our budget and it's the people around us. But when we read the scripture, there's a whole lot more to being uh, an effective church than that. It's not just our seating capacity, but it's our sending capacity. It's not just the number of people in worship, but the number of people in Bible study and the number of people engaging people in the community and the number of people caring for other people. There's a whole lot more to being a church than just one or two metric. So what does that mean for grace? What does that mean for us as we are a unified church? What does it mean for what we're going to look like? In fact, you've probably seen our new logo that we've been using. And in fact, if you haven't noticed it, the image on the left side, you see that every time you come to church. Worship, right? You see it right here. It's the front of our sanctuary. It's actually the sign out front of our building as well. And as we talk about what does it mean to be Grace Lutheran Ministries, the reason we're talking that way is, is because we're not just a church and a school. And, and oftentimes I've heard, well, well, it's either church or school, and, and that almost becomes a defi- dividing factor. Instead of saying, we're not two, we're one, we're unified. And when we went through upward and onward, and, and this past summer, as I read through over 200 comments about uh, what do you look forward to the future of grace, and hearing comments such as, well, we want more opportunities to reach out. We want more opportunities to, to be involved in our community and do missions. We want more Bible studies, and we want more of men's ministry, and we want more small groups, and we want to grow our student ministry, and we want to, to max out our school ministry. We want, what we realized as we looked through that is that what God's people were saying is, is we see 
see a diversity of people here at Grace and a diversity of people in our community. And if there's a diversity of people, then we need a diversity of ministries, all of them strong, and yet all of them interconnected. Because we are one. One unified church here at Grace. In fact, it reflects who we are. One budget, one team, one ministry, one people, one church. And in fact, when you look at how that works in the six areas of ministry we have, that's what God has called us to. Care ministry being led by our deaconess, Christiana. Student ministry by our DCE, Christine. And missions and adult ministry by Pastor Clyde. And school ministry by Deb Erdman and our teaching staff. And worship ministry by uh, Bill Cahill and our pastors. And yet they're all interconnected. And they all affect one another. And they all grow at the same time and in the same way. In an interconnected way. And worship being at the, ministry, at the middle of that. Because everything flows into and out of what is happening here as we worship God in in word and sacrament ministry. Because the truth, once again, is when our children go to school, they are going to church. And when they go to youth group, they're going to church because we are the church. One church, interconnected. And the reason we are using that image of of how our ministries interact is because of this. I I want you to think about a spider web. Now, don't think about a spider web in terms of, okay, well, it traps people and then there's a spider. So don't go that far, right? There's a limit to that. but, But think about a spider web. If a spider web is only connected to the wall by one point, how easy is it to tear that spider web down? Or two, or three, or five. Because we've been asking the question, why does it happen so often that we have eighth graders who graduate from eighth grade and then we don't see them again? Or eighth graders who confirm their faith and then we don't see them again? Or those who are part of a mission trip but then the mission trip is over and we don't see them again? It's because we're realizing that if we're only connected in one or two places, then that connection is tenuous. But the more that our families are connected to more ministries, the, the, hard, the stronger that that connection is to what God is doing in his church and for his kingdom. So over this next year, we're going to continue to encourage you to be in Bible study to be out serving and witnessing and sharing the gospel, uh, to, to find ways to care for others or to be cared for, to be in worship, not just once a month, but every week to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is so significantly important for us to be together, understanding that the church is not a location. It is a people, a people who display his glory for the sake of the building of the kingdom of God. So once again, what is a beautiful church? Or, which one of these pictures is a better picture of a beautiful church? Which one of these pictures is a better picture of a beautiful church? Or this one? Or this one? We are called to be a beautiful church who displays his glory so that we as the church might be what God calls us to be, holy braggers who display his glory for the sake of the building of the kingdom of God and changing lives forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
thank you for this opportunity to gather together to remind us what it means to be the church. The church is not a building, but the church is your people who gather together to glorify your name, whether it's in worship or service or Bible study or care or missions or in our school ministry. It is in all of these ministries that we are the church who display your glory. So may we be one unified church, knowing that it is together and only together that we can see these ministries grow for the sake of reaching out and changing our lives and the lives of others now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.